0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. And in these four verses, our Lord is speaking to His disciples in the upper room. If you remember, it's on the night of the Passover, the night that He would be betrayed, and the night before He would be crucified. And so in his last words, in his last teachings to his disciples, what was the most important thing that he stressed to them? Well, as you know, the last words of someone before their death, it can distill a person's dearest values, their views on life, their emotions, their affections, their love. It puts it into just a few words, right? That moment before someone passes into eternity, and so just even thinking about it, what will you say? What do you think you will say to the people you love on that day? I remember when my grandpa passed away, before he departed to be with the Lord, all the kids and all the grandchildren were, were at the hospital. And so one by one, I'll never forget this thing, one by one, we would go to his bedside in, the, in his hospital room and he would pronounce a blessing over each one of us. It, it was It was remarkable. And I'll cherish the words that he said to me for the rest of my life. But last words before death, they are very telling of a person, aren't they? It's your entire worldview in a few sentences. Well, after three years of embarking on a teaching ministry, we are reading a portion of the final teachings of the Lord Jesus to his disciples and some of his final words before his very death. And so he takes the final evening he has with his disciples to reiterate this single command, this command to them. He, he says it in John chapter 13 and he revisits he, it here in John chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard this before, but it's a good refresher. The, that, that word love, it's interesting in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there are four different words to describe what love is. There's one called storge, and there's another one called phileo, another one eros, and, and then a final one, agape. Storage love, it's used to describe a type of familial love, right? It, it, this word, it describes the type of deep and caring bond that exists between family members. Husbands and wives, siblings, as well as other people you may consider to be family. So, so that's one type of love within the Greek language. Another one, eros, it's used to describe a romantic love that is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. That, that third word love, phileo, it's expressly used in the Bible, and it, re- it refers to the warmth and the affinity shared by close friends, almost as if those friends were indeed family. And so if you think about Phileo, what's a city that reminds you of that word? Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's commonly referred to as the city of what? Brotherly, Brotherly love. love. What's a Greek word? Philadelphia, based on Phileo. But the word that Jesus uses here in our passage, it isn't storage, it's not eros, it's not phileo. No, the word Jesus uses here for love is the word agape. Agape love. It is the highest level of love referenced in the Bible. This form of love, it is perfect and it is sacrificial. It is a freely self-giving kind of love that seeks the highest good of other people. You probably know the verse, First John four eighteen right? Where, where it says, God is love. Well, that word for love there used in that verse is agape. And so this agape kind of love, it was specifically used by the Apostle John in another one of his books to describe the love of God, that, the love that God himself personifies and embodies. This is agape love. And I know in our world and culture today, right, we are fixated on this idea and this notion that we get to define for ourselves what love is. We we hear the phrase commonly stated, love is love. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the driving motivation for this redefinition of love is nothing other than a self-absorbed love for one's self. But what Jesus shows us here is that as Christians, we don't get to love one another other people with a self-defined love. We don't get to decide what love is or how we are to show it. We aren't to love people in the ways that we think is either best or most convenient for us. No, we are to love, Jesus says, with a self-giving love that is defined and personified by no one other than God himself. We are to love one another, Jesus says, with an agape kind love. Of love. And so in verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I agape you. Abide in my agape. And he goes on, though, in verse 10 to say, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so if you read, if you followed with me, and if you were reading verse 10 carefully, I think a good question that arises for us is this, that we have to ask and answer. Is Jesus saying in verse 10 that his love is conditioned, that it's based upon our obedience, right? What Jesus uses in verse 10, it's a conditional statement, an if-then statement. Do, do we make Jesus love us more if we obey his commands? But we'll read that verse again with me. He says, if, if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So is the love of Christ, is it conditioned on our obedience? Well, no, it's not. But in a way, yes, it is. And we'll get there. Don't worry. I will touch on that. This past Friday evening, uh, I took Ruby and Noah to Academy to go get some new shoes. And so in the car on the way back home, Ruby started asking me how in the world I can use this plastic card to pay for things when things cost money. (laughs) It wasn't working. It wasn't computing in her mind. In, In her mind, money is the paper bills, right? And so as she was trying to conceptualize all of this, she asked me something along the lines of, is your money on the card? And so, you know, just a normal conversation in the Gilman household, right? After taking a second to try to figure out how do I explain the modern-day banking system to a seven-year-old, uh, I, I answered something along the lines of, no, the card – the the money is not on the card. In our It's not on the card, but the card allows us access. And that's the key word for this illustration. The card allows us access to the money that we have in the bank. The plastic card, it's not – the money, it just gives us access to the money that we have. And so do you see the love of Christ? It was demonstrated for you on the cross. And in essence, sense, his love for you was deposited into your account, Paul says, before the foundations of the world were ever laid. We have his love in full, freely accessible to us because of Jesus's substitutionary death. On the cross. But also church. Jesus says. The way we access. His love for us. The way we get to relationally experience. His love for us. Is through affectionate obedience. To his commands. The apostle Paul says. That the love of God. While deposited into our heart. By God the father. And while displayed for us. On the cross by God the Son, it is now dispensed to us by God the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5, it says this, that hope does not put us to shame. And this is the key, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what happens when we walk in willful disobedience to the Lord? Is the love of Jesus taken from us? Well, no, that's not the case. Jesus' love for us is secured in his work on the cross. When he said it is finished, that means his work is finished, paid in full for you. But do you remember what we studied all the way back in Ephesians chapter 4? That when we do walk in persistent disobedience to the revealed will of God in our lives, Paul says that we do grieve, we do quench, the Holy Spirit that is within us. And so does that make sense? If the Holy Spirit is the one who dispenses the love of God into us, who pours the love of God into our hearts, and if we quench His Spirit within us through willful disobedience, then that would mean that we, don't, we won't be able to relationally experience the love of God in our lives. And so is Jesus' love for us dependent upon our obedience to Him? No. It's not. And to say otherwise would be heresy. But is our relational experience of Jesus' love, our daily accessing his love, our abiding in his love, Jesus says, is that conditioned on keeping his commandments? And Jesus says, what? Yes. That, that, that word in verse 10, keep, if you keep my commandments, it, it can also be translated as guard. And so the question is do we esteem the commands of God as great treasure that we would guard them, that we would keep them against the temptations of the flesh, the devil, and the world? Do, do, in our lives, do we see the commands of God as burdens to be obliged, or do we see his commands as treasure to be guarded, to be kept, to be obeyed? It, it is love. <laughs> When we experience the love of Jesus, it is love that transforms the commands of God from burdens to treasure, from obligations to something that is now worthy of vigilantly protecting with all of our hearts and with our wills. In short, right, we guard what we treasure. So if you treasure, if you guard his commandments, you will abide in his love. But notice what else Jesus says at the very end. He says, he gives an analogy. He gives a comparison here. He says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So do you see what Jesus is doing right there? He's equating our experience of Jesus' love to Jesus' experience of the father's love. And so the question is, do you want to experience a taste? Do you want to get a taste of the infinite love that is between God the father and God the son? How many of you would like to experience a taste of that kind and level of love in your life? A love that is pure, a love that is perfect, a love that is without limits, and a love that is without end. A love that is eternal. If your answer is, yes, I want that kind of love, then what does Jesus say? Keep my commands. Because do you see the argument that Jesus makes here in verse 10, that if we model our lives after the life of our Savior, if we are truly His disciple, then we will get to experience the same, albeit not to the same level or the same degree, but we will in part get to experience the same love that God the Father has for God the Son and vice versa because we will get to experience the never-ending breadth, length, height, depth of the inestimable and incomprehensible love of Jesus. There's a modern song that goes something along the lines of this. So the love... Of Jesus, boundless and free. Oh, the love of Jesus poured over me. How it's captured my soul. How sweet just to know, oh, the love of Jesus, it's all I will ever need. And so Jesus continues to say in verse 12 that when we receive the love of Christ, when we get to experience his love relationally, His love will then lead us to reciprocate that love, that same love toward people in our lives. And so how many of you maybe have heard this saying? Some people say, I've heard it before. uh, Some people say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Or something along maybe those lines. Well, that kind of thinking is foreign to Jesus and to the Bible. Because Jesus taught and he commanded us to rest in his love so that. There's a purpose clause to it so that his love would not terminate with us, but rather that it would produce something within us. And that is love for his bride, the church. And so, while it's true that we should love all people everywhere, Jesus, here in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, he is calling us to a different, specific, special, familial kind of love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so a good barometer, maybe if someone has truly understood, truly comprehended, truly grasped the gospel, if they have experienced the grace of God, a true test of that is this. Do they have genuine, sincere, others-oriented, sacrificial love for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And if that answer is no, then, then you may have a deep intellectual understanding of the gospel and of the great doctrines of scripture. But if you don't have love for others, then it's an indication that the gospel hasn't moved from your head to your heart. It's an indication that you're not truly on a regular basis experiencing the love of Christ. Because you see, Jesus, he isn't calling us to love others with a love that comes from within us. No, he's calling us to love others with a love that originates from above, with his love, with agape love. We are to love one another, right? And so there are times when we're not feeling the love for others, right? If we're honest, right? Uh, there are those moments when those days when we feel that way, but it's in those moments that we need to pray, Lord Jesus, fill me with your love so that I may love your bride as you have loved me. Anytime you pray the prayer, fill me with your love, which is a good prayer. You should pray that daily. Fill me with your love. Just make sure that there's not a period on the end of that prayer, but rather a comma and then a so that. Because Jesus says an experience of his agape love, it is to produce within us. An agape love for others. Fill me with your love, Father, so that I can love others with your love. How many of you have heard First Corinthians chapter 13 used or recited at a wedding ceremony? Any, any, anybody, right? I, even in officiating, I have used, uh, I, I've only officiated one, but in that one I used First Corinthians 13 as part of the wedding ceremony. And it's entirely appropriate to use that passage for that setting, but 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 if you remember, what is the context of First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter? What's the context of it? Who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to a married couple? No. Who is he, who is he writing to? To the church. And so, what Paul is saying is that this kind of love it should be indicative of your love, not not, not only for your bride or for your husband, but it should also be indicative of your love for one another within the local church. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and as I'm about to read this, I want you to ask the question to yourself, is this how my relationships are defined within this local church? Paul says, love is patient and kind. How patient are we with one another, right? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. This is key, church. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So listen, if we if we find that maybe someone in the church is irritating us then listen, that is a mark of the flesh, not a mark of love, agape love within our hearts. Paul goes on to say it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And he says, it ends the chapter in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these uh, these three, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. Are your relationships in this church defined by that kind of love? True agape, true godly, true divine love. It seeks the highest good of others. Indeed, that's what drove Jesus to the cross, right? Jesus submitted to the will of his father in heaven, and he endured the physical and the spiritual agony of the cross to seek your highest good, to bear your punishment and to purchase your salvation. And so what does Jesus say in verse 12? He says, this then is my commandment. And notice a commandment, it's not optional, right? Commandments are not optional for the Christian. This doesn't just apply to you whenever you attain that level of spiritual maturity. No, today, if you are a Christian, then right now, in every day of your life, for the rest of your life, this is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another, period. Right? No, that's not what he says. That you love one another, how? As I have loved you. And so we see here that, that our condition for loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, it's not based upon whether there's compatibility of personalities or whether we have similar interests, right? We naturally flock and align ourselves with those kinds of people. And, that, and that's not wrong. That's okay. But that should not be what we condition our relationships on. No, your love for your fellow Christian, it should be conditioned by this one thing. And that is obedience to your King. We are to love one another just as Jesus said, just as he has loved us. And so when we love in this agape kind of way, what is the result? What's produced within us? Look with me at verse 11. Jesus says, what, what, what is produced within us? It's joy. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so let's re- reverse engineer this a little bit. It, you, no, no raising of hands. Uh, you don't have to self-incriminate. Uh, but uh, uh, and if not now, then think about maybe other seasons of life where maybe you have lacked joy in your life. Anybody been in a season like that where they have lacked joy? Well, well if so, it could be, it might be because you are not freely and sacrificially giving of yourself in that season to seek the highest good of someone else you're not agape loving another well well, why not well it could be it might be because you're not experiencing the love of jesus afresh and anew on a regular basis well why not well it could be it might be because you see the commands of jesus maybe either as optional or as burdensome rather than as a treasure worth guarding and obeying why why would that be Could be, might be, because you're not abiding in Christ. You're not remaining in his word. You're not resting in his love, and you're not requesting his ear. Why aren't you abiding in Jesus? Well, it could be because you're not daily remembering afresh and anew of of who Jesus is, of his glory, and of his grace, and what he has done for you how he gave the last full measure of himself on the cross to seek your highest good, to purchase your salvation. And so in that progression of reverse engineering this, do you see why it is so important to preach the gospel, to press the gospel into our hearts every single day? It's not just a catchphrase that I say. Everything in the Christian life depends upon that By remembering afresh and anew every day of who Jesus is, of who your king is, the one you're serving, and what he has done for you. The agape love he has shown you to the point of sweating blood in a garden and the point of shedding blood on a cross. He has done that for you. So press that truth into your heart every single day. Because joylessness, it's a product of lacking agape love for others. And you withhold love for others because you fail to experience the love of Jesus for you. And you do so because you're not rejoicing in obeying his commands. And you do that because you're not abiding in him. And you do that because you're not centering your life and your day upon Christ. His work and his person. His gospel. So I want to end this morning by asking the question. This could be taken different ways, so... Go go with me. Uh, But I want to end this morning by asking the question, how, how is your love life this morning? If there was a thermometer that could measure the intensity of your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, in our church and in this other spheres of your life, what would it read? Would you read high temps of agape love or would you read higher temps of apathy Maybe to ask the question a bit more pointedly: is there anyone in your life that you are lacking to show or you are withholding agape love from? Or to ask the same question on a practical basis in a tangible way. How are you doing in loving your fellow members here at our church? Are you loving them as Christ has loved you? And so listen, this I hope that's a convicting question for you because it was for me when I had to ask myself that question in studying and preparing. And I know I have a long way to go to love you all as I ought to, as your pastor and as your friend. But true agape love, Jesus says, it's not self-seeking. It is sacrificial. True agape love, it is not me-centered. It is God-centered. True agape love, it is not inward-focused. It is outward-focused. In true agape love, it doesn't seek one's one own's highest good. No, it foregoes any sense of entitlement and any preferences. It does so to seek the highest good of other people in their life. In short, agape love, it is embodied by someone who seeks to live their life for the glory of God and for the highest good of other people. Someone who lives in such a way that puts on full display to all for all to see that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they love their neighbor as their own selves. And so in conclusion and ending your short and simple, but I hope powerful application this morning is this. I want to encourage you this week to think about three ways that you can show three people in our church that God may love. Think about it, be thoughtful, plan it out. And then take the next few weeks to do that, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has told us in his word and what he has told you this morning. Because remember, Jesus, he didn't say, this is my suggestion. No, he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. But remember, church, it's not just all give and no take, right? Because the same one who has commanded us to do agape love toward everyone else, toward other people in our lives. He is the same one who has poured his agape love into our hearts. And he is the same one who has also said, these things I have spoken to you, you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. His commands are not burdensome. His commands lead us to the greatest form of joy known. And so this week, you have the opportunity to embrace the agape love of Jesus for you, to extend his agape love for others and to experience the fullness of his joy in your heart. This, this kind of living, this is true wealth in life. And it doesn't get any better than that. Experiencing the love of God, loving others with his love and being full of his joy. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.